Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm your host, Jesse Bartholomew, and today I have to admit I'm a little out of my element again, but I saw an article recently in the Courier Journal that just drew me into this topic. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about Louisville's old streetcar lines and rail systems. Now, I'm a very visual person and doing the research for this was so much fun. I absolutely loved looking through all the old photos of trains and streetcars and maps. And I'm going to give you guys a link in the show notes to this one website that has a huge archive uh, put together of all these photos. So you can go see for yourself. Also, I'm going to be jumping back and forth a bit between streetcar rail and actual trains. So just bear with me. I got very excited writing this and tried not to go off on too many tangents, so it might not be organized super well, but there's a lot of great stuff in here, so bear with me. It's hard to believe now how extensive our rail systems used to be. The Greater Louisville area had almost a hundred steam and electric commuter rail stations and over three miles of elevated lines downtown. There was one really cool station I'll post a picture of on social called the Sky Station. This was an elevated station suspended 60 feet in the air off the edge of the Big Four Bridge, what you might know now as the Walking Bridge. So that walking bridge used to be a six-span railroad truss bridge connecting Louisville and Jeffersonville, Indiana. The construction started in 1888, finished in 1895. It was updated and expanded in 1929 and taken out of rail service completely by 1968. Now, when it was proposed, the riverboat industry at the time really wanted it built further upstream from the falls of the Ohio, But despite their protests, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers approved the plan. This particular bridge caused an unusually large amount of casualties during its construction. 37 people had died by the time it was finished. There was one horrible disaster on January 9, 1890. A construction crane was dislodged by severe wind, which caused a damaged truss to fall into the Ohio River with 41 workers going down with it and 21 of them died. And the truss just narrowly missed a nearby ferry, which would have killed even more people. Interesting side note, in 1988, the president of Costa Rica contacted the Louisville mayor to ask if he could buy the bridge. He wanted to purchase it, dismantle it, and put it back together in Costa Rica. This would have been more cost-effective, I guess, than building a new one in Costa Rica. But the plans never did manifest into anything. Louisville actually didn't own the bridge at the time. Now, lines also spanned beyond the Louisville metro area. An interurban line to LaGrange opened in 1901. Lines to Prospect and J-Town opened a few years later in 1904, followed by Okalona in 1905, and Fern Creek in 1908. And these interurban commuter trains ran up until the mid-1940s. There was one commuter line called the Daisy Line, and it was called that because of its paint scheme. It was 
yellow with brown trim, and it was an elevated electric train system that stretched from Louisville to New Albany. And there's a great old ad that I'll post on social media. It's an ad for the Daisy Line, and it says, quote, 1,500 Hoosiers ride to and from New Albany and Louisville swiftly, safely, economically, every day on the New Albany and Louisville Electric Railway. For excellent service, rapid, and low-cost transportation, board the easy-riding New Albany and Louisville Electric Railway. There was another line nicknamed the Dinky Line, owned by the Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Chicago, and St. Louis Railroad, and it was called the Dinky Line because it was known for its smaller trains, which ran through New Albany, Clarksville, Jeffersonville, and Louisville. And in 1909, the Dinky was offering 19 round trips at hourly intervals between Jeffersonville and Louisville over the Pennsylvania Railroad Bridge at Clarksville. And it's really fun to look at some of the old photos of the interior of these commuter trains. They're decorated with carpet, plush armchairs, side tables with lamps. Honestly, they look like you're stepping into like a grandmother's living room, which I just think is so funny. Now, Louisville Streetcar Line officially started operating in 1889 with mule-drawn cars, and it was run by the Louisville Railway Company. There's another great photo I'll post. It's of a mule attached to a school bus on Main Street in 1889. How things have changed. Now, at their peak, they were running about 500 cars, which would connect with the interurban lines that would take passengers further outside the metro area. Farmers found these interurban lines very convenient for bringing their products into town. But during the Great Depression, the number of passengers decreased dramatically, and in response, they started digging up rail lines and replacing them with buses. So to break down the timeline a little bit, all interurban lines were already out of operation for passengers by 1935, and the next year, in 1936, the first trolleybus route opened, which was electric. But during World War II, rubber and gas were being rationed, so they went back to using streetcars again, meaning they had to reinstall lines they pulled up just a few years earlier. But by 1948, the very last streetcars still in operation were abandoned, as buses became a more frequently used mode of transportation. And actually, the very last day they ran was on Derby Day 1948, which was May 1st, and it was the year Citation won. There's a bit of a conspiracy about a subsidiary of GM buying up lines in 45 major cities across the country. This became known as the General Motors Streetcar Conspiracy. There are a bunch of great articles out there about it. Just look it up on the internet. But GM... GM basically needed people to buy oil and tires, so they kind of just forced it by buying up all these um, lines in major cities. And in fact, nine companies were, quote, convicted of conspiracy to monopolize interstate commerce. But it wasn't just that. The, the fact of the matter was, more people were buying cars and more highways were being constructed, and VA loans were encouraging people to move out to the suburbs. So by 1956, electric trolley buses were abandoned entirely, too. I'll link in the show notes to an interview with a man named John Owen, who founded a nonprofit called Louisville Railway Company. 
And in the article, he talks about how these transit services were running all over town, 24 hours a day. It was so easy and cost-effective to get around. And some people, like Owen, believe that reviving our streetcar systems would be beneficial to the city. And though I'm not an expert, I am all for it. I think it would be so much fun. And in fact, Owen points to many areas where parts of the old rail are still exposed and in good shape, implying we could dig those up and rebuild using them instead of having to build brand new ones, which could save a lot of money. Owen says there are, quote, remnants of Louisville streetcar past everywhere in the older parts of town, if you know where to look. It might sound far-fetched, but it's being done already at places like Dallas, Kansas City, and New Orleans. Plus, Owen believes rebuilding the rail could help bridge the Ninth Street Divide. According to that WFPL article, there was a plan to bring a light rail system to Louisville, and the city invested over $10 million doing the research and planning, but the plan was rejected in 2004. And it sounds like it was rejected because they were also working on funding the new toll bridge project, and they just couldn't get federal funding for both, and the bridge and highway reconstruction won out. But other cities, as close by as Cincinnati, are bringing back rail, so maybe it's still a possibility for the future. Now, we can't talk about rail without talking about the Louisville and Nashville Railroad, the idea for which manifested in 1850. Construction began in 1853 at 9th and Broadway in Louisville, and by 1855, it was operational, carrying 300 people eight miles outside Louisville at a whopping 15 miles per hour. It wasn't until 1859 that a train took the rail all the way from Louisville to Nashville, and by that time, the bill for construction had gone over $7 million. This particular railroad's relationship to the Civil War was an interesting one. The LNN was located basically in the middle of opposing armies, and at various times was used by both the Union and the Confederacy. And it was also damaged several times throughout the war, but was still fully functional when the war was over and continued to expand. In the next three decades, it would reach beyond its original path to St. Louis, Cincinnati, Birmingham, Pensacola, and New Orleans. It eventually reached the Gulf of Mexico in 1881, and soon after that expansion, the coal industry enticed the railroad company to build into eastern Kentucky, starting with Hazard and Harlan in the early 1900s. During World War II, LNN traffic grew exponentially, an 80% increase in freight and more than 300% in passenger traffic. And operations went smoothly, even though the LNN lost nearly 7,000 employees who left to join the military. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The LNN bought their first diesel-powered train in 1939, 
and by 1957, they retired their last steam-powered train. Their passenger service grew even more, so they updated their train's equipment and interiors. And after World War II, the LNN was apparently in really good shape because they just went out and acquired a bunch of other systems, including the Nashville, Chattanooga, and St. Louis Railroad, a portion of the Chicago and Eastern Illinois Railroad between Evansville and Chicago, plus part of the Tennessee Central Railroad. According to an article from LNRR.org, I'll link to it in the show notes. The 1950s and 60s were not a great time for the railroad industry as a whole. But again, the LNN did surprisingly well. They were up against the emergence of the interstate highway system and increased use of both barge services and trucking. So all railroad companies, including the LNN, had to, quote, economize and do more with less. They diversified their fleet, and they consulted with stylists to choose flashy, eye-catching paint schemes. Unfortunately, these bright color schemes and the types of paint they were using were cost-prohibitive, and you can see in photos from a few years later, lots of trains were switched to plain paint schemes done with cheaper, more durable, and lasting paint. So it's kind of neat to look at this evolution of their paint over the years. For a while, they were, like, very flashy, and then all of a sudden, they weren't. But anyway, by 1971, the LNN operated over 6,500 miles of track in 13 states. Later in 1971, the LNN was bought out by the Seaboard Coastline Railroad, which had previously owned 35% of their stock for many years. A decade later, the entity known as the Louisville and Nashville Railroad officially merged into the Seaboard System Railroad, ending its 132-year existence under their previous name. Not long after that, in 1986, the Seaboard System merged into what we now know as CSX Transportation. So that was my very brief overview of streetcars and commuter trains in Louisville and surrounding areas. I brought this topic up because I think it's a a good conversation to have, and I think it's going to make a comeback in our future. I really hope it does. I would love to hear your all's thoughts on this, so send an email to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com or send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter at kyhistoryhaunts. Find the Facebook page, Kentucky History and Haunts. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already.